This show is brought to you by hospicechaplaincy.com. Promoting excellency in professional hospice chaplaincy. For more information, you can visit the website hospicechaplaincy.com. You can find the Hospice Chaplaincy Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play Music. We are your hosts, Joe Newton. And I'm Saul Abema. for joining us on this episode. We are continuing with our series on age-specific therapy. In our last episode, we spoke about the issues that elderly hospice patients go through. And today we are talking about middle-aged adults. Dying persons in this age group present counseling challenges that are different from the elderly. The middle-aged adult with family and work responsibilities who is stricken with terminal illness and the elderly in a nursing home face their death with different concerns due to their perceived age difference and social responsibilities. The sense of loss, injustice, and anger is often more intense in the person at this middle stage of life. I had the occasion once to have a gentleman who was in his early 50s as one of my patients, and I mean, a very gifted businessman. He could do no wrong. He'd had a very good, wonderful life, good family, uh, scared to death, quite frankly, scared to death because he knew with his disease and he had cancer that he was going to die. And I remember one time, this is how scared he was and how the sense of all this loss just, I think, consumed him. One night, he, he had a hard time breathing, and he literally freaked out because he thought he was drowning, that he was suffocating, and it scared him. And talk about anger. You know, I don't want to die this way. I just, this just isn't the way it's supposed to be. Thinking that, you know, why do I have to go through this? Because look at this. I've got a, I've got a teenage boy that needs me to be able to go and, you know, I... He did all this. He did all this, the sports things with his son, and now he couldn't do it anymore. And he wasn't going to be able to. And who's going to be able to do this for my son? And who's going to be able to help him out? Uh, it took an enormous amount of time to talk to him about those things, and just to let him talk it out and find ways that it is that he knows that there'll be somebody there to help him, son. But I mean, it took an extraordinary long length of time. Unfortunately, we were able to have those times together before he died. And by the time he died, he was accepting, I guess you would say, of that it was going to happen and it was going to be okay and that his wife and his children were going to be okay because they helped along that, that too because they had to come to grips with the whole situation and be able to tell him that it's okay. And that's part of the, the whole thing that we talk about as, as counseling families, that, that things are going to be okay. But I tell you, the, the, 
you know, you don't, like you say, you don't sense and see as much of that anger in a lot of the elderly because they've lived their life, they would think to themselves. And especially the idea of, of it not being a just situation. Well, you know, they're a little more mature and they understand that. And if they've had children, especially the elderly, they've had chance to raise the kids. Exactly. But for this middle-aged group, the sense of loss and injustice is so strong. Is. Questions like, what will happen to my children? Mm-hmm. What kind of people are they going to be? Why is my life cut short? Why can I be there to see it? And sometimes uh, they will even mention their relative who is 90, mm-hmm. you know, who they... How come so-and-so has lived up to 90 years and they, they have no meaning, you know? But why me? Yeah. Why do I have to die so young and not see my children grow? So that sense of injustice is strong in that mm-hmm. age group. Uh, the major psycho-spiritual concerns in this age group are also the loss of identity, work, family, and the reality of not being able to support their families or not being able to raise their children. When compared to the death of an elderly person, the family members and friends of a dying person in this age group have intense psycho-spiritual issues. I think that's putting it easy, that putting it lightly. Uh, how can there be a God that lets this happen? Where's God in all this? Why, why can't I just sense that God is going to be helping us and doing this and all that? It, it's... It's the re- they're trying to rationalize something that is irrational, and they and by that the family and the and the, especially the patient because uh, they who would ever go into their life thinking that at age you know middle age whether it's forty five or fifty five uh, that they have an, a life ending disease. I would you know I would never have thought that when I was there. It poses real sure. challenges. It poses oh, intense. Oh. And especially if they're your peers. I mean, you look at it as, as, you know, if you're a chaplain and you're in that, that's that your age group, uh, that, you know, you, you, can, you can really identify with what they're going through. And that can also be such a wonderful bonus for that patient that you can identify with it and say, I, you know, that you understand or try to understand that this is a pretty harsh situation that unfortunately your family is going through. And... What, they, what, what we as chaplains, I believe, have to do is try and, and bring some sort of understanding. And it's difficult when they're so angry at times. And, and this, the sense of spiritual psycho, spiritual pain, you know, affects the patient, affects the family of the patient, and then the friends of the patient. And chaplains should not ignore that. The friends also have intense feeling. Especially the sense of injustice. Why does he or she have to die so young? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It it challenges them in there because then they're thinking of their own mortality and how fragile it is. What would you, what would, you know, they all then would, I would think that each one, as I'm sure they do, think about what would happen to, what would happen to my family if it happened to me? And what am I, what would I do to prepare for that? Or is there anything you can do to prepare for that? And really people don't because it's just uh, how we view death and how we view illness is that it's just not going to happen. We can fix anything. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, 
it's just a very intense uh, age group in my mind that, that it's, hard, it's not hard to work with. It's just challenging to work with them. What do you think is uh, most challenging to work with this age group of patients? Uh I think it's, uh, quite frankly, the the injustice and anger aspect of all of this is what you're talking about. Uh, you know, they can. Uh, I've seen individuals and been with individuals who just are so angry that they don't talk about anything, and that means including their family. When you need to be able to break through that, so that they can can have some sort of healing about this before their loved one dies, so that they can grieve in a way that is hopefully healthy and I, I i it's 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 a challenge and i know that you know they the families feel at times that they're the ones who are you know they cause all the anger and they're really not but they're the ones who receive the brunt of the anger and that's what's working with and saying you know they're not me dad's not mad at you junior dad's mad at the situation that's going on here Kids are going to say, well, what did I do wrong now? I never do anything right. And, you know, you got to work with them. Kubler-Ross gave a, a wonderful example about this issue. It's a, an example of a 28-year-old mother of three small preschool children. She had liver disease, and because of her liver disease, she slipped in and out of a hepatic coma. She was disoriented, had psychotic episodes a very young woman who felt that it was she was way too young to die. She really never had all the time that she wanted with her children. And during these times of confusion, she was totally disoriented. She was in and out of the hospital. Her husband had taken loans out to pay for the hospital and doctor bills. There were babysitting problems. And finally, he asked his mother to come into the household and take care of the children. The mother-in-law came in as well and... The mother, yeah, the mother-in-law did not tolerate the daughter-in-law well, in other words, the patient. She would have to like to get over it as soon as possible by that, this young woman's illness. The father was in great distress because of his financial problems, the whole mixed-up state of the household. And one day he came home from work tired and desperate and blurted out to his wife, it would be better if you would live and function as a housewife and mother for one single day then drag out this misery any longer. I could see that happening. I could see a frustration coming out of someone's mouth like that. And this young mother sensed that her husband was counting her days. The three children did not make it any easier, but they made her feel guilty for dying on them. That is, I mean, you think about that, that whole scenario there. The pain the dying person has to go through, just the psychological pain, you know, seeing the family, seeing her husband, you know, saying all these things. And, and the story doesn't say that she doesn't know what's going on. The story is saying that she knows what's going on. Where's the person who's supposed to be there? And I'm, I'm assuming that hospice wasn't doing his job if they were in there, quite frankly, because, I mean, they had so many issues that need to be worked on, psychosocial issues. It takes time. I know that. I know that. But also you need to be able to work together with the family on that. And this is something that is so, I'm sure it happens more times than we care to think about. It happens, and that's why chaplains have to be attentive. 
you have to consider the, the dynamics of the family Absolutely. and find out what is going in there so the chaplain or the social workers can be there and help the families work through this. And they can't be like you said in the previous episode where you said you can't avoid anything. No. I mean, if they, if the, that chaplain or that social worker came in and experienced and heard, heard what the day was like in a very brief period of time, they could come to the realization and, and with a few questions to find out there's a total chaos going on. Here. Yes. We need to address all these issues at some point. And that is the nature of our job, to That's see right. where the chaos mm -hmm. is and to look for it. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that is my issue. Some chaplains want to take the easy way out. They visit, they pray, they go. <laughs> Please don't. Don't take the easy way out. No, don't. <laughs> don't. That just does not do well for families or yes. situations. You see, middle-aged, terminally ill patients with young children are often worried about their children and the effects of death on them. They have concerns about financial issues of the family and being a burden on family members. They experience guilt and a sense of abandonment. They also struggle with unfinished business. It is just a cocktail of so many issues. Oh, absolutely. That this age group. But the, goes the, the interesting thing with the elderly and even with them is the idea of being a burden. Yes. Uh, those are both similar feelings I know that happen for that those age groups, especially with the senior citizens. Senior citizens, they just, you know. Why can't I just die? I'm already being a burden for my kids. And to think that same thing with a middle-aged person and I'm, you know, uh, if, I can't, if I can't provide a, an income and provide a home for them, uh, why am I here? Why am I here? So you lose meaning. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you begin to feel like, you know, I'm being a burden to my family. Mm -hmm. And that feeling is a deep spiritual pain. Absolutely. And chaplains have to explore those feelings mm -hmm. because you look at in the story that you read where this guy had to get a loan yeah. to pay for her medical bills and on top of that raising kids so uh, for her it's normal for to feel like i'm taking too long why don't i just commit suicide and yes he, and why doesn't somebody just give me that magic pill yes so the feeling of a burden, in most cases, it leads to that. So we have to do a lot of uh, evaluation for suicide. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It can lead to suicidal ideation. Yes, you know, can. maybe I can overdose myself and end this. Oh, sure. There will be peace. So it, it is really uh, uh, lots of issues there for chaplains, uh, the psychosocial team and psychospiritual team to explore. And as long as, hopefully... As a chaplain, you'll go in and recognize the fact that what we, we just were talking about here with the idea of burdens and guilt and abandonment, uh, unfinished business, as you say, the cocktail of everything, it seems like, with this age group, because it is everything. So what should a chaplain do? Good question. It is my opinion. What should they do? I liked what you, you said in, in the previous, the first episode where you said... Uh, you have to know yourself. That's yes. important because the intensity, the cocktail of the emotions in this age group is, is tough. So you have to know yourself. You have to know yourself because you could be self, find yourself trapped under the idea that, you know, you know what it feels like to feel guilt. You know what it is to feel abandoned. You, don't, you know that, uh, it, like again, trapped because it's your age group, for instance. You have to know what it is that you're going to try and help these people with, these families. 
And, you know, you can't do it all. That's one thing you need to recognize, that you can't do it all as a chaplain, but yet you can go in there and you can ask good questions. You can give them that wonderful listening ear that you have and some good, and ask them to answer good questions about what's going on. What are you feeling? How can, what is it that, you know, and sometimes all it takes is a, a, a conversation. And, and it's the going back to my feeling and what you said before, you can't avoid, you have to be open, you have to be honest with them about what you sense and what you see is going on. Because if they're, they're not looking at the elephant in the room, you might have to help them open their eyes to see it. Yes. So effective ministry in this age group, like you said, the starting point is to know yourself. It begins with coming to terms with death personally. How right. comfortable Absolutely. are you dealing with death? Um, so you have to be able to come to terms with death personally, spiritual, and theologically. The chaplain needs to put himself or herself in the patient's place and not expect instant resolution of problems. Chaplains need to be good listeners to the patient's narrative, to the family, to the friends. In the process, they can help the dying patient and the family and friends cope with the fear, with the anger and anxiety associated with dying. That's a very... People as chaplains need to remember that. Put him or herself in the patient's place. Uh, sometimes me, we don't. Is, oh, no, we don't. We, yeah. we, sometimes we're very uncomfortable with it, yeah. and we don't want to be there. And, you know, it's... To hurt, it hurts too much. Uh, you think you're worried about becoming too attached or too involved with the situation. Uh, I think that's a foolishness that people need to get rid of when they go in and start ministering to people, uh, because it is going to be in there, and you are going to feel the, dis- the the distress and the pain and the suffering, but you're also going to be able to feel the joy and the excitement of of hopefully helping this person have a good death. And that's to me, is also a very challenging aspect of coming into this age group because, you know, how can they have a good death when they still have kids that are going to be at home and a wife and a, fa- and a, and a, and a career that is now done? You can be done, and it, it should be, be done. done. Yes. And that is the task that the chaplains have, uh, the psycho- entire psychosocial, psychospiritual team have to work these issues that the patient and the family is going They can find healing, yes, but not can. cure. And that oh, is our right. goal, yep. to help patients find healing. Absolutely. This podcast was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Joliet, Illinois. Audio Hive Podcasting is a studio dedicated to podcast recording, editing, and production. For more information, you can find us at audiohivepodcasting.com. visiting a patient and 
he was the breadwinner. He had a, a brain tumor yeah. with an eight-year-old daughter. And um, they had just bought this house, you know, banking on his um, finances before they found out that he had this uh, serious, severe brain tumor. And the, as soon as they found out, the doctors recommended hospice straight away. Mm-hmm. And the times I was talking to the wife, uh, you could hear uh, the burden, the challenge. How am I going to be able to pay for this? Um, I've never got a job. I do not have any wow. career. You know, what's going to happen to me and my daughter? Uh, this is so unfair. This is tough. Um, the emotional trauma uh, that she was going through was challenging. And th- this is one of the... Uh, the deep issues uh, of hospice patients in this age group and how it affects uh, uh, their loved ones. Some of the friends um, were there and it was tough. Others uh, didn't know how to comfort him and the family, so they disappear. And that is the challenge uh, in this culture. uh, When people are in tremendous issues, it's easy for people to just stay far and when you call them, why are you not coming to see your friend? I don't know what to say to them. Right, exactly. But, uh, yes, that they forget that sometimes uh, the gift of presence. You exactly. know, I've visited patients where sometimes I didn't have to say anything but just to be. Just to be. So presence in itself uh, is an amazing gift uh, that people can offer to their friends and to their loved ones who are in these tremendous uh, issues dealing with terminal illness. I had a similar situation happen. This is different than the one I was talking to you about before at our break. Uh, you brought it up about a, a family, brain tumor, brain cancer, young children involved, wife, and taking care of them. Wife was a, was the one of the breadwinners. I mean, they both worked. And she wanted my presence as a chaplain to be in there to help her with the children. And I remember befriending these kids and asking them questions and seeing how they are and watching how they work, how they play around dad, who was in a hospital bed and was not able to speak, but he knew who was around and he loved having his children there. And I could, you know, as a father, I I can't understand how that 30-something-year-old young man could have his children around him and not be able to talk to them and play with them. And I'm like, that had to have been so difficult. It's so challenging, but you didn't see anything because of the disease process, what it had taken away from him and, and to do. So I spent a lot of time with the kids, and they they really opened up a lot to me about what it felt like to watch their dad decline. And like you said, I'd play with them a little bit, ask a couple questions, and just be there. And be the one that they, if they say, you know, if they wanted to, they'd come up and say, hey, Joe, what's, what's this, what's going on here? What's, or even just to the point of saying, how was your day? At, how was your day at school? What dad would usually say, how was your school day? What'd you do today? What is going on? The, the, the wife was very appreciative of the ministry that was offered to them and the children and everything. Uh, it was a good death. It's unfortunate, sad, uh, they're doing well because they had the opportunity to close off the, the time of life in an appropriate way, in a good way, 
by being there with dad. Yeah, it was an awesome experience. Yeah. And it looks like they were fully involved. They did oh, not they avoid were, oh, they took care of, the they proverbial took care. elephant oh, yeah. in the room. Oh, yeah. They were open to the process. They were right there, and they were so involved with all his care and whatever needed to be done. You can't let, you know, you, 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 people will think that, you know, death is a scary experience. Uh, really doesn't have to be. It's what we make of it. And uh, death isn't the worst thing that can happen to us. And the other experience I had working with a, a middle-aged man was uh, this man, had his wife had early onset Alzheimer's. And I, I just saw what this did to him. He had no life except to take care of his wife. He stopped working. He did the best he could with his children, but they were old enough to understand that what dad had to do it was to take care of their mother. Son was in his, I think he was beginning high school, and the daughter was beginning college. And to think that there's a child whose daughter is going off to college and you can't even really take her there and really enjoy the experience of dropping her off and, and all of that, that had to have been very frustrating and hurtful for the father. Not saying what it was like for the mother because of her Alzheimer's. Uh, he struggled. He struggled so hard with all of this because he didn't feel he was giving her enough. And I don't know what he was thinking that he needed to do more as far as taking care of her. And I tried to explain to him that he did a very wonderful job of taking care of her. Sometimes when uh, there's also sometimes... Uh, <clears throat> A feeling of guilt that caregivers go through. They feel like they're not doing enough, perhaps yeah, because of the love that they had experienced from the passion, and they feel like they owe more. And, exactly. Uh, yes. But to help them realize, you know, you're, you're doing your best. You're mm -hmm. doing, you know, the passion appreciates this. This means a lot, just encouraging them on. And, 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 and using the examples of your experiences with other patients who don't have that situation for them and say, you know, you look at what you've done doing here and what you've done to your wife and what you've allowed to happen. I don't mean to be cruel, but there are many people out there who had just put their wife in a, in a facility and then they wouldn't have to deal with it every day, all day, 24-7, every single day. God bless you for what you were able to do for your wife. But he just, he loved her so much. It's one of those loves, you know. It's beautiful, and for the chaplain to walk in that kind of situation and be a, be a source of strength for both of them to encourage them. It was a powerful experience. Yeah, it still it still gets me right. And here. that is the beauty of our Joe. We become companions. You know, I think exactly. I think that's why I love chaplaincy. People let us into their sacred space, and we walk alongside them through mm -hmm. this difficult pain. But it's also a blessing, you know, in a sense. You know, uh, a part of us heals too as as we provide healing for them. Oh, absolutely! Right. And it's just a, a mutually uh, an amazing experience mm -hmm. just to walk uh, to walk alongside patients in those uh, situations. It's a it's a it's a very powerful time when you're talking this age group. Thank you very much for joining us and for listening to this episode. 
This show is recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting Studios, and our engineer is Brian McKenna. Thank you for listening.